Alright, y'all, welcome back to Los Nazarenos Podcast. This is JD back with you. In today's episode, we give uh, Kerwin a little break and we have a solo conversation between myself and our friend Brian Curry. And the topic is ecumenism and interreligious dialogue. So enjoy this episode and everything that the Catholic Church teaches on those topics. We're going to talk about hum- ecumenism. Uh, you want to introduce yourself, Brian? Greetings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brian Curry here. Yes, ecumenism. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm not actually from Ireland, but I am Irish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to start off this uh, podcast on ecumenism, I want to. S- we're going to really dive deep into the Second Vatican Council uh, what it, um, what the church fathers and bishops from that council teach us about ecumenism and interreligious dialogue, and how we are to treat our uh, and see our other Christian brothers and sisters and our brothers and sisters of other faiths. And to start, I'd like to just quote a few things from uh, Blessed. Pope Paul VI's opening address at the second session of Vatican II. And so in this address, he's the uh, council had invited uh, people from different Christian traditions. So it, it's an ecumenical council. And some showed up, some didn't. And so he's talking to them. And So he begins with saying the council aims at complete and universal ecumenicity. That is at least what it desires, what the council desires, and what the council prays and and prepares for. And so he really kind of parcels this out, and this also comes out in some of the church documents about how the Reformation was a, uh, there are people to blame on both sides. Um, and he kind of takes the onus on the Catholic Church, and I quote when he says, if we are in any way to blame for that separation, we humbly beg God's forgiveness and ask pardon, too, of our brethren who feel themselves to have been injured by us. Um, If you ever have a chance to read the dialogue between Martin Luther and Pope Leo X, it is very revelatory. It's uh, basically two guys just throwing scat at each other, and Pope Leo does not make himself very saintly. And um, yeah, so I'm gonna toss it over to Brian and uh, to talk about maybe his own experience. Brian's a convert, and kind of what this ecumenical face of the church means to him. Okay, thank you. Um, I pulled up a couple definitions of ecumenism just so that those that don't know the word, which I never knew the word before, um, I got involved with another faith. That's a movement promoting unity among Christian churches or denominations. Then a broader definition, uh, which has come into being more recently, is a movement promoting worldwide unity among religious through greater cooperation and improving understanding. So I guess the first thing to maybe address is between Christian churches. Yeah. So uh, 
as J.D. points out, I am a convert, and I was raised an American Baptist son in central Illinois, and my parsonage was in the middle of a Croatian neighborhood. <laughs> um, and Croatians are good Catholics, and they were all viches. They're Petroviches, Gregoroviches, Tomlianoviches, Gersniches. And my line is, and I've used it a lot, is that I was raised with all these sons of viches, and I was. <laughs> Uh, and we were Baptists, and they were Catholics, and I always thought Catholicism was one of the spookiest things I'd ever heard of. Uh, I would occasionally go into St. Mary's Parish and be scared to death of the statues of the blood, <laughs> of the water. Uh, it was always dark, and certainly the corpus hanging on the cross uh, was nothing we had in the Baptist church. But uh, I, uh, I was pretty much Protestant. And I, and I had my stint through Bible churches as well, you know, the Calvary chapels of the world, uh, that kind of thing as a young adult. In the 20s, in my 20s, <laughs> uh, I chose, uh, I actually went, started to go to uh, theological training. I went to seminary thinking I wanted to be a pastor. Then I realized I really didn't want to pastor people, that I really didn't like people much. And I really just wanted to study theology and mm -hmm. church history. Uh, I ended up coming. I ended up uh, getting out of there and really chose a lifestyle more of agnosticism because of uh, what I considered high intellectual prowess, which proved to be otherwise. <laughs> um, and in my late twenties, at the well, at the age of twenty nine, I was jogging through Pacific Beach one Sunday morning, and I just said, "Hey, you know, I've never gone into St. Bridget. I'd been in a lot of different churches in my day." And I sat down, uh, and. I just absolutely fell in love with liturgy, with uh, the idea of sacrament, uh, the idea of traditions and symbols, and things that we never had at all in my tradition. And my tradition was scripture, and that was about it. Um, and uh, overhead projectors, you know, <laughs> and uh, really, really uh, much lighter, not near the reverence I had in attending my first Mass. I, within three weeks, I'd signed up for RCIA, and I converted. And the process of that was uh, not just easy. I actually studied it. I actually wanted to know what I was converting mm -hmm. to. And um, one of the things, and this is what leads into the topic, one of the things that always bothered me growing up Protestant, and again, leading to my agnosticism, was the idea that... Um, a once saved, always saved, or Jesus is the only way to something much greater that I can't even comprehend, uh, a God, a creator of the universe, and that my church is the only church that has the answer. And Protestants traditionally are much more uh, evangelizing in trying to bring people into their fold, yeah. whereas Catholic church not once did any of my Catholic friends grow up try to evangelize me. And I dug that. I liked that. And then I came to find out that uh, having studied a little bit more and then busted open the catechism a couple years later that uh, the Catholic Church welcomes and recognizes and respects other religions and other faiths. Uh, first, we'll talk about other faiths, non-Christians, uh, or I'm sorry, Christians. Uh, and non-Christians. And uh, I never had that growing up. It was, you're either black and white, you're in or out. Yeah. So I did convert. I love it. I just love, I love being Catholic, but I also love uh, not having all the answers. Yeah, that's, uh, I think the deeper and deeper you go, the 
fewer and fewer answers you have. Right, right. <laughs> Good not to know. Right? Yeah, because eventually you're like, oh, wow, God's way bigger than I could ever think. Um, so with that said, uh, Brian, do you want to share some of your stuff from Lumen Gentium, which is the dogmatic constitution on the church? Right, and uh, Lumen Gentium is on the people of God. So this is uh, Pope Paul the six in November of 1964. And he, he talks about us being us Catholics, and he also talks about non-Catholics, and this is 1964. The church recognizes that in many ways she is linked with those who, being baptized, are honored with the name of Christian, though they do not profess the faith in its entirety, or do not preserve unity of communion with the successor of Peter. For there are many who honor sacred scripture, taking it as a norm of belief and pattern of life, and who show a sincere zeal. They lovingly believe in God the Father Almighty and in Christ the Son of God and Savior. And it goes on to talk about they're consecrated in baptism, they're united with Christ, they may even have their own sacraments, their own ecclesiastical communities. And um, so he, he ends, begins to end that particular paragraph. Likewise, we can say that in some real way, they are joined with us, us, the Catholic Church, in the Holy Spirit. For to them, too, he gives his gifts and graces whereby he is operative among them with his sanctifying power. Now, I was not a Catholic uh, prior to Vatican II or by, prior to 1964, but I don't think it was all like this, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that was, uh, so this was like they were kind of what came to, uh, came to be during the council is about 50 years of momentum of um, ecumenical movements, which a lot of the attitude of this comes out of, and also like the liturgical movements. So that's, there's a lot of history behind this stuff that just gets dropped in our lap in all these constitutions and decrees and during those like three years of this council. Um, but there was a lot of movement. But yes, before this, it was the um, what, Vatican I was coming out in just pure against uh, modernism. And, and that was uh, about the 1860s. And thank God Vatican I abruptly ended. <laughs> um, and there are a couple of good things, like I think... We got the assumption out of that, <laughs> or uh, mm -hmm. Mary's immaculate birth. Um, but I digress. Um, even before that, with Trent, Trent was a response to the Reformation. It was always, and the funny thing about Vatican II is that it's the first council of the church that didn't get called when because of crisis or to be against something. Because you have all the all the statements from Trent are, if you are this, then you go to hell. If you are X, you go to hell. Like that's, it was all against, against, against. And this is the first time the church is saying, here we are. This is what, how we see ourselves. And 50 years later, we're still figuring it out. <laughs> uh, and it, go, it goes further back than that. I mean, really, if you look at Jesus himself. Yeah. You know, uh, when he heals the centurion slave, mm -hmm. he doesn't tell the Roman to become Jewish. He doesn't tell the Roman, here's what, 
here's what else you need to do. You know, yeah, your faith has made faith. her well, and he sends him off. Or yeah. the Samaritan woman, you know, he, uh, so he, he himself was ecumenical yeah. in that regard. You yeah. know, for a Jewish man, it was quite a stretch, really. Yeah, to even... Talk and, to one. Yeah, and he, to, yeah, engage with a Gentile. Mm-hmm. And so um, just to pick up a little more on kind of Lumen Gentium leads really well into this, and this is the decree, the decree on ecumenism from the Second Vatican Council. I will butcher the Latin. <laughs> Unitatis redetergatio. <laughs> and I think that is unity and reintegration, something like that. <laughs> and so really the church is going for um, this sense of unity that we've lost as Christians. Um, besides the, before the Reformation, maybe we had maybe you could count major denominations on both your hands with the Catholic Church and the Eastern and Coptics and Ethiopians. Um, but after now we're up to about 30,000. Mm. <laughs> um, but I just like to share this from the decree on ecumenism. Um, and I think it kind of reiterates what Lumen Gentium says. And this starts with saying in subsequent centuries and when it says that it's referring to after the Reformation. So in subsequent centuries, much more serious dissensions appeared and large communities became separated from full communion with the Catholic Church, for which often enough men on both sides were to blame. However, one cannot charge with the sin of the separation those who at present, so today those who have other denominations are born into these communities and in them are brought up in faith of Christ. The Catholic Church accepts them with respect and affection as brothers. For men who believe in Christ and who have been properly baptized are put in some way, though imperfect, in communion with the Catholic Church. I think that was another big change after Vatican II was if you were baptized in any other Christian tradition, it didn't count. Mm-hmm. But now the church recognizes the for, the for, formula. If there's water being poured or dunked, and you use the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's a valid baptism. I know that for a fact because I was given credit for my baptism in a Baptist <laughs> church when I became Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> So, and just to, I'm going to wrap up on this being really specific with um, other Christian communities. And this is, there are some attitudes out there that kind of have an, an us versus them mentality. And it's on both sides. It's on the Catholic side. It's on the non-Catholic side. But this is from the Council Fathers. And this is addressed to to us Catholics. This sacred council urges the faithful to abstain from any frivolous or imprudent zeal, for these can cause harm to true progress towards unity. So this transitions really well into John chapter 17. And uh, this is starts around verse 20. And so this is Jesus's last prayer. Um, before he's arrested, before they leave the upper room to go to the uh, Mount of Olives. And so 
John 17, verse 20. And he's just uh, spoken about, as you sent me into the world, so I send them, the apostles, into the world. I pray not only for them, the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And I think that's a really important distinction that one of Christ's wishes is that all of us, those who have heard the word through the apostles, may all be one. And so to, this is kind of my like really hard, my hard hitting statement to not be ecumenical is to more or less go against the gospel mm -hmm. and against Christ's wishes. And I mean, we've made a mess out of this thing called Christianity. <laughs> and it, I don't think it's, we're going to get back to full unity until Christ comes back himself. Uh, yeah. And the church is called to be ecumenical. And we, as followers of Christ, are called to be ecumenical. There's just no doubt about it. I was thinking when you were reading that about, uh, again, still staying on interfaith within the Christian tradition, how um, I, all of the, I think so much of the uh, so-called disagreements, perceived disagreements or misunderstandings are just that. They're misunderstandings. They're misconceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no idea on the teachings of the church when I became Catholic other than what I've heard on the street. Uh, I commonly see folks that uh, maybe were, uh, if you're Catholic, you'll get this. Um, maybe they were raised Catholic and then they became Christian. You know, I mean, I've heard that, right? Are you Catholic or Christian? Yeah. Uh, not understanding that Catholic, Catholicism is Christian. And that's likewise, uh, Protestants uh, or non-Catholics think, you know, have no clue, many of them, on our idea of what uh, you know, Mariology is, or, you know, we're not praying to Mary, but asking for intercession, uh, and all of the other, other traditions of our faith. Uh, and really, if, if there was more education on both sides, I think a lot of that would go away. Yeah. Um, really, much more so. But the, the, thing, the thing about it is that although, you know, before folks start uh, posting comments that uh, J.D. and I are basically outright uh, <laughs> radicals, you know, it in no way takes away from my fundamental belief in Christ and in the church itself. Yeah. Um, that all of this is done under the umbrella of the larger church, the Catholic church, a small c, the universal church. And that uh, we do believe, and it's probably, you know, that all of us do believe this and that we're inviting all. It is, it is a spirit of unity and reconciliation that needs to be the, you know, the final goal uh, here. Uh, I'm not necessarily running out to convert people, but my, my personal opinion is the best, the very best evangelism is example. Mm -hmm. It's what we do, not what we believe yeah. it's, or what we don't do. Uh, uh, but that doesn't take away at all from what I believe, right? Yeah, and that's, I think, uh, this always, whenever I hear that, it comes the uh, quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, yes. preach the gospel at all times and sometimes use yes. words. That's, I think that encapsulates it. 
I don't know who said it, but they gave credit to our boy SF and. <laughs> I mean, the you know the great thing this this uh, Francis the Holy Father has just been wonderful to me. You know, uh, the typical person when I talk to them about Catholicism, sort of. Well, first off, they hit their own Crusades. You know, okay, yeah. Crusades. Okay, we got the Crusades. <laughs> Uh, but you know the 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 idea that it is so exclusionary. So here, along you had this pope come along who's washing the feet of Muslims. Uh, he is, you know, embracing and kissing the leper. He is uh, saying things like, "Who am I to judge?" I mean, all of this. And now the same, some of the same folks are saying, "I really like your, I really like Francis. You know, I like your pope." Yeah, I've had a friend say, right? Right? "Our pope, our pope." And, oh, good. And good. she's as. To my knowledge, an atheist. <laughs> right. So, so to me, if if we acted and and demonstrated the love uh, of Christ, as opposed to looking for all those ways that we are different than other people, all those ways we are similar. Look for the similarities, not the differences. That uh, just like Francis, I think Francis is doing. Certainly, the Catholic Church would be a much more attractive place. Yeah. It's- <laughs> I think we're getting there, baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, I think, uh, like you said, when we can use this as a segue into um, Nostra Aetate, the church's decree on uh, other faiths and religions, mm-hmm. and that Christ is, everything is made through Christ for Christ. So Christ is in all uh, the Holy Spirit works in ways that we can't even understand, um, and I'll bounce it to Brian yeah. to talk about this. I mean, when, when I, you know, when I read this, it blew me away. Uh, this is right out. I mean, frankly, uh, it, it then this particular document uh, was written there, ended up in our catechism, ninety-two catechism, and it, you know, it starts talking about who belongs to the church, and then it has a whole section on the church and non-Catholics or non-Christians, non-Christians. And it talks about the relationship of the church with the Jewish people, and we acknowledge them. Uh, we respect them. They have you know, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. You know, It goes on to talk about a relationship with Muslims, that them too, they profess to hold the faith of Abraham, just like we do, do we not? <laughs> uh, and together with us, they adore the one merciful God. The church, then it goes on, the church is bond with non-Christian religions altogether, you know. Um, and the Catholic Church recognizes in other religions that search among shadows and images for the God who is unknown yet near, since he gives life and breath and all things and wants all men to be saved. Thus the church considers all goodness and truth found in these religions as a preparation for the gospel and given by him who enlightens all men that they may have at length life. And so these these type of things I never grew up with in my tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, that we would you know, and actually have it written down. <laughs> I mean, it's right there in the catechism, yeah. right? Yep. Every good Catholic has a catechism on their bookshelf. <laughs> Every good they have it on their bookshelf, but you know, have you really opened it up, read it cover to cover? Here's the other one I like outside, you know, the idea that outside the church there is no salvation. Um, the church allows for those that that haven't, you know, been exposed to the mm-hmm. idea of, you know, Christology and Christ, as uh, in a Trinitarian sense. And so it says, those who, through no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ or His Church, 
but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and moved by grace, trying their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience. Those two may achieve eternal salvation. And I frankly know a lot of non-Christians who act more Christian than a lot of other Christians I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So well, that's what was Gandhi's famous quote. Mm-hmm. I, I like your Christ, but your Christians yeah. not so much. <laughs> right. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Um, right. And I think that it's... I think it's this simple um, idiom that I think we hear it all the time from outside. It's like, if you just practiced what you preached, then I'd be down with this thing called Christianity. And um, so often we don't. And not to say that we're not, but I mean, sometimes we got to maybe try a little harder to actually, or even show people that we're practicing what we preach to invite them to service opportunities at your parish or church, wherever you go to church, say like, oh, no, we do practice what we preach. Come and feed the homeless with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. What's, uh... Yeah, it's just, it is, I think, today especially, in this day and age, with all the polarization and what's commonly called now the dualistic thinking, black mm-hmm. and white, right and wrong, us versus them, or, uh, as I've heard talked about, tribalism. Yeah. Um, there's a, such a great need for us to really be reconciled to each other. And only, you know, myself, the only way I can really do that is through my understanding and faith in Jesus Christ, which is a faith based on love and tolerance and acceptance and justice, uh, not, not uh, pointing fingers. You yeah. Know, you know. The only people that Jesus pointed fingers at were the finger pointers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, another. Well, I sort of hit on those, the Muslims, the Jews, the others. There, here's one, one thing from there that I find uh, following up on what we were just talking about in this day and age. You know, here we're doing this today. We had Charlottesville not long ago. We have uh, uh, discrimination running rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, no, here, this is right out of the teaching of the church, right? It's 1965, Nostra Etate, which is in our time. And, it, you know, I'm, I think it's sad. This is 1965 that I'm going to read this, and here we are in 2017. Yeah, 50 years and, later. Yeah, it's still going it. on. But no foundation therefore remains for any theory, any theory or practice that leads to discrimination between man and man or people and people so far as their human dignity and the rights flowing from it are concerned. The church reproves as foreign to the mind of Christ any discrimination against men or harassment of them because of their race, color, condition of life, uh-oh, or religion, or religion. We're all in it together, and the church wants to maintain good fellowship between all of us uh, and nations as well. Um, and so, you know, the church is plain. It plainly speaks right there. And to me, that is the spirit of, the spirit of Christ. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's far bigger uh, to, and all of these documents, it's good to point out for all the Catholic faithful out there, these documents always preface by saying something about like, yes, we affirm the church is where the fullness of the truth is. Like every, 
100% of the truth is here in the Catholic Church. Um, that doesn't mean that 99% of it isn't with the Lutherans, and that doesn't mean that 50% of it isn't with this, but these documents teach that we see the goodness and we accept all that is good and of Christ within all of these religions, and we work with them in mutual something or other, and I'll just read it from the document. The church therefore urges her sons and daughters to enter with prudence and charity into discussion and collaboration with members of other religions. Let Christians, while witnessing to their own faith and way of life, acknowledge, preserve, and encourage the spiritual and moral truths found among non-Christians, also their social life and culture. That's even touches on another thing, their social life and culture. Like, yeah, they're, people are different around the world, and I think, that's our, I think that's one of our biggest human problems is we refuse to enter into someone else's context, to walk in someone else's shoes, to say, and that even goes for the church. The church in California looks nothing like the church in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... And, and one parish may look nothing like another yeah. parish down the So the, someone's ex- life experiences are going to vary so much from whether they live in downtown Los Angeles or in the San Fernando Valley. Like even one mile of separation can completely redefine how someone's life functions. The, uh, the other thing in the catechism when it, when it I, I guess from a, po- a really positive standpoint, uh, when it talks about who belongs to the Catholic Church, uh, it ends with what a statement. It's t- the, it says, To reunite all his children, scattered and led astray by sin, the Father willed to call the whole of humanity together into his Son's Church. The whole of humanity. Not just those that are already Catholic. Not just those who are non-Catholic Christians. Uh, not just those led astray that were, you know, cradle Catholics, a whole of humanity. The church is the place. That's you and me. We are the place where humanity must rediscover its unity and salvation. And I love this line. The church is the world reconciled. When I read language like that, it, it, it really tends to put me as distant from uh, all of the discord that comes about when we only point out what we believe, what you believe, why I'm right, why you're wrong. Or as uh, I learned back in the 70s, the phrase, curb your dogma. I mean, really, <laughs> I mean, let's set this aside for a while and really come together and look at, you know, look at what really matters, you know, in reconciling and in reconciliation, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh... Although a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is in do- is dogma itself, yeah, right? Yeah, that's Lumen Gentian dogmatic. <laughs> right. Yes, dogmatic <laughs> constitution. Yeah, that's the if you are rejecting um, dogma, then you are outside of the church. Right. So literally, yeah. I guess you could you could say the negative dogma we talk about isn't dogma at all. The negative dogma, you know, that's way past. We're way past that now, folks. I mean, we're into, the, you know, the dogma of the church is unity. Yeah. You know, it's unity, right? Definitely. And <laughs> the, the, the Council Lumen Gentium defines the church as the people of God, yeah. not as 
Christians, not as the priests, not as the nuns. <laughs> it's the people of God, and that's it gets specific about what that looks like inside of our own tradition, but that's, I think that's an intentional, very big phrase. And what did, what did you say the other day about uh, when you're baptized? You know, you're not baptized into the oh, Holy Catholic Church, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when you are baptized, you're not baptized into the Catholic Church. You are baptized into Jesus. Into Jesus, yes. And so that's... Um, or into Christ. Yeah, that blows it open more. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, to close this, I want to just share a little story f about uh, St. Francis of Assisi and his, um, his journey to meet the Sultan. And it was Sultan Malik al-Kamil. Um, so this was during the Crusades. And Francis gets this idea in his head. He's like, I'm going to go sail across the Mediterranean to Egypt, and I'm going to convert the Sultan. And if I don't, I'm going to die a martyr. So that was Francis's attitude when he went down there. Um, so this is the middle of the 13th century, height of the Crusades. And nobody wanted to let Francis in. Like the bishop of that area was like, oh, hell no, you're not going <laughs> in there. And Francis got in one way or another. And his intention was to convert the Muslim sultan. And what ended up happening is he had such a profound experience of a man of God. And he came to this realization that this sultan, this Muslim, someone who's not a Christian, is a holy man. And that's what he left this experience with. And then I think it was maybe a year or so later, he goes on retreat for 40 days. And during this retreat, he's reflecting a lot on the cross. And actually, before he left for the retreat, he had heard that another a crusade had been commissioned, and the crusaders were gung-ho about killing the sultan. And it hit his heart so hard, he's thinking, why would people want to kill a holy man? This was a man that Francis had met, and so he was distraught. And so in his reflecting on the cross during his retreat, he says, well, Christ was a holy man, Christ, the holiest man, <laughs> and they killed him. And so he drew a similarity between Christ and the Sultan and that Christ really is bigger. And it's in these reflections on this retreat that he received the stigmata, the signs and wounds of Christ. Um, so I just wanted to close with that story. Brian, do you have anything else to well, add? Well, you know, that, that reminds me of a story I heard from either a deacon or a pastor over at St. Bridget that there's a, tax, uh, a Muslim taxi driver or something, uh, something on the order. He comes over to, to our parish to pray. Oh, yeah. You know, so he lays out his rug and he prays. Now, just think of that. He's coming to a Catholic church just because he thinks it's a holy place, yeah. a place of God, and he's not Catholic. And what a beautiful demonstration. What a beautiful thing. And, and of course, we're going to welcome him there to be able to come over and pray. And uh, I, I tell you what, I mean, here's one way the Muslims, I got to look at them and hats off. They pray five times a day. <laughs> yeah. On their, not just on their knees. I mean, they are, right? Mm -hmm. I'm keeping the, keeping the right size five times a day, which is a lot more than I do. So I, <laughs> I really learn from that. You yeah. know, I can learn something from them as well. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, thanks to Brian. We'll probably have Brian back again in the future. All right, friends, thanks for joining us again on Los Nazarenos. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Nazarenos for Life, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Nazarenos for Life, or check us out on our website, nazarenosforlife.com. That's Nazarenos, the number four, and L-I-F-E. All right, peace.